Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Nice sunny morning. Nice to see y'all. If you want, we'll stand up, we'll pray, and we'll get started. Father, we're here for you this morning. Uh, we just uh, thank you for how you work in our lives. I just pray that we have just a wonderful morning together. We're just praising you with songs and hearing your word. We pray for Matt. Um, just give him peace and clarity as he preaches. Um, pray for Leonard just for a nice weekend of rest for him. Um, just uh, be with us today, God. Help us hear what you're trying to say to us and just put a little more, more of ourselves down today, this morning, as we, uh, as we praise you and as we try and grow. So we love you and give this time to you. Amen.
majesty course again. Majesty. Does anybody have any uh, prayer requests this morning? Liz? Sure. Liz's son-in-law. Jerry Thomas had a massive heart attack. You're welcome. Anyone else? Rich? Brittany and Dan? Hi, Brittany. <laughs> Any specific reason? Surgery of Dan? Is he doing all right? All right. Any other prayer requests or praises? Oh, Miss Lisa. Brianna Rail. That was Tim Annabelle's wife. All right, if nothing else, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and just the time that we get to gather and worship and praise you, whether we be in person or whether we're in the uh, internet world watching uh, we just pray that you guide us and direct us. We pray that you just open our hearts and our minds to the word that will be presented this morning. Um, we just pray for the prayer requests this morning. You know, Jerry Thomas and the heart attack, Dan's surgery, Brianna Rail and the blood pressure issue, and uh, Tam Annabelle's wife and the accident. Lord, we just uh, lift these up. You know every single circumstance. You know what they need. You know 
the physicians and the nurses and the, uh, the wisdom that you can give to them um, to help them along the way, Lord. We just uh, ask that you be with those that are unspoken, the, those that we've been struggling with, those that we've been praying for over the last few weeks, Lord, that you just give them in the encouragement and the wisdom and the power that, that they need, Lord. We just love you and thank you so much for what you do for us and just giving us so many blessings on this bright and sunny day. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, before we jump into the sermon, um, well, we're, we're going to change things up and do some communion. Um, I, I want to share this with you. How, how many of you grew up listening to your parents, grandparents, teachers at school to always look both ways before you cross? I think we all have. You know, it was a common warning after that is, you don't want to get a hit by a car. Um, and I want to give you guys a similar warning today, and especially before we go into the message. Um, but always look both ways before you take the Lord's Supper. In the same way, we were warned to look first to prevent being injured by an oncoming vehicle. The Apostle Paul warned the Christians in Corinth, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. We might, we might paraphrase his words by saying, look both ways before you eat and drink. Look upward in reverent fear and respect. respect. Then look inward. See yourself clearly. Check for pride and any evil in you. If you don't look both ways, you are guilty of yet another sin, and you will die. You see, there's no part of our worship that brings us as close to heaven as communion. But its blessing is lost if we don't look before we cross. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we look to you, as we come to this time of communion, we, we just pray that we can have a time of examination of ourselves, that we can look before we partake in it. Not only that we can praise and worship you, but we can also look in ourselves and look for the pride, look for the things that are holding us back, look for the sin that's in there so that we can focus on you entirely, Lord. Lord, so many times we are bombarded with the stresses of life, the turmoil of life, the sin the, that entangles us, Lord, that we forget to look at you, that we, look, that we forget to place our eyes on you and know that you can help us through anything. Lord, you were so loving and so gracious to send your son to die on that cross for us even when we didn't believe, even when we were still sinners, you still did it because of how much you loved and you cared for us. Lord, as we partake this morning, as we peel the top of the, of the cup and the bread, that we remember the sacrifice that was laid out before us. Not only the pain that you suffered, but the pain that Jesus suffered being hung on the cross, to die, to take on the sins of the world. That there is power in the blood 
that we can be washed white as snow, that we can live a life fully and dedicated to you as long as we put our faith and our trust in you. And we just thank you for that sacrifice. And if you all will, open the cup and the bread with me. And we'll take it together as, as a bunch of believers. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. And he said, eat, this is my body broken for you. And he did the same with the cup, saying, this is my blood that I have shed out for you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So it's good to be here this morning. If you all have your Bibles, if you want to follow along with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. I mean Luke chapter 16. I did that to Rich this morning. We're going to start with verse 19. All right. Let's begin there. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with whatever fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus by his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed upon us, has been fixed between you and us, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house. Because I have five brothers to warn them so that they also, so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. If we start looking at this passage of Scripture, and we take a look at the rich man, in verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linens, feasting lavishly every day. Jesus wastes no dime describing this rich man. 
he gives us a couple of important details. Notice first that this man was clothed in purple and fine linen. His clothing was the best money could buy. When it came to himself, he spared no expense. Many of you may recall in the book of Acts, Lydia bought and sold purple goods. The rich loved to be clothed in purple. It was the color of royalty. The clothing was dyed using a very costly purple dye and seen as luxury for only for the rich. We also remember those crucifying our Lord mockingly wrapped the purple garment around him as they hurled insults and beat him. Fine linen was a woolen garment worn as a status symbol. To make fine linen was a process whereby the garment was soaked in a special clay pot and made brilliantly white. Next, Jesus mentions that this man feasted every day. The very definition of a feast was woven into its special occasion. In other words, to feast every day would almost stop the celebration from being a feast, but just a normal meal. To this man, his feasting was so common, he hardly even thought of it as feasting. Compare this to the father who, when his son was restored to him, killed the fattened calf and began to celebrate from the prodigal son. The rich man had a daily supply of fattened calves. Could you be clothed in the finest clothing and feast extravagantly every day while 50 feet away from you is a man lying in tattered clothing, sick and starving? Could this rich man not even send a servant out to help this poor man in bathing or to feed him or to tend to him? This, rich, this poor man, Jesus notes in, in 20 and 21, that this poor man was very close vicinity to the rich man. He laid outside his gate while it, he, he feasted off the the crumbs off the rich man's table. While in this life, the rich man had ample time to tend to the needs of Lazarus, but never gave it a second thought. Lazarus, was, as Jesus notes, was covered with sores, whereas the rich man was clothed in purple and fine linens. Do you see the imagery and contrast Jesus is picturing before us? One man clothed in fine linen and costly purple, the other one clothed in sores. Surely the Pharisees would have viewed Lazarus as unclean and suffering divine judgment. Much like Job's friends who wondered what great evil Job must have done for God to curse him so severely. Just as the prodigal son longed to eat the pods that were fed to the pigs, so Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from this rich man's table. Was the rich man blessed because he was rich? Was Lazarus under divine judgment because he was suffering so? Lazarus was in such a poor state and so utterly unclean that Jesus tells the mongrel dogs that ate from the refuse pile even added more misery to him. They were not licking his sores to help him, but to be a picture of more suffering. Lazarus was unclean. The dogs have come not to lick his wounds, as many people have thought, but to abuse him further. And in the story, to add one more reason for us to regard him as less than human, unclean, through and through, an outcast. I don't want to gross anybody out, but can you picture the sad state of Lazarus? 
He smelled terribly, not so much from his lack of bathing, but because his, sin, his skin was rotten and full of sores. Next, Jesus contrasts their homes. The rich man lives in a state compound, which is signified by the fact that he has his own gate. Cities had gates, and fortified towns had gates, not a house. However, this man was so rich, his fenced-in compound had its own gates. Lazarus, on the other hand, had no home at all. Many scholars believe that because Lazarus was lying in the rich man's gate, that he was crippled. This may or may not be the case. Well, it's a certainly sad state for both the rich man and Lazarus on this side of eternity. But something is about to change everything. Verses 22 and 23 say, One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Did God bless the rich man because he fared so well while on this earth? Was Lazarus under divine judgment because he suffered so? Jesus continues with this comparison in contrast of these two men. No longer are they living on earthly lives, but both have died. Notice the switch in their circumstance. Lazarus no longer suffered. He no longer was hungry. He no longer was needy. He now had a home. And rather than being mocked as he lay at the rich man's gate, he was cared for, and it was he who feasted. In life, his only companions were the scavenger wild dogs roaming the country. But now, he is in this presence of Abraham and the angels. As soon as Lazarus breathed his last breath, he was whisked up by the angels and transported in a split second to heaven, where Jesus symbolically explains Abraham's side which depicts a place of the beloved. So Lazarus is receiving his eternal inheritance and the rich man eternal suffering. You see, the rich man was now in dire need. His suffering was unfathomable. In Hades or hell, as some translations call it, he suffered great pain. The tables have now turned. The one who suffered greatly in this life now feasts daily at the side of Abraham. And the one who is in this life enjoyed many pleasures now is the one who is suffering for all eternity. Over the next several verses, while we look into the mindset and the thinking of the rich man, perhaps we can see the errors of his ways. And it might just help us with our view of eternity. Starting with verse 24, Abraham, he called out, Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue, because I am agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed upon us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house. Because I have five brothers, I, I want to warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. As kindly 
and as fatherly as Abraham's response was in these verses, he was not the rich man's father. To be a child of Abraham is to be a child of God. All the rich man had was a Jewish lineage, not saving faith. All he could claim was to be a physical descendant of Abraham, not a spiritual descendant. It is true, Abraham addressed him as a child, but this indicates a kind of Jewish address, not an indication of faith. He is not a child of God. Verse 24, And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Even in torture, the rich man's agony is seen. I mean, arrogance is seen. He does not, he do, who does he think he is that he could ask Lazarus to enter the tortures of hell and give him some relief? He assumes that Lazarus should still be in his low status department and he should be on high. He is viewing the circumstances as if Lazarus is still covered in sores and he is covered in purple and fine linen. Perhaps we may experience times of suffering in this life. We must never think that sorrow and grief in this life means sorrow and grief in the life to come. Like Lazarus who experienced pain and suffering here on this earth went on to be highly exalted in the life to come. Do you understand how eternity works? Jesus is very clear about that in verses 26. When he says, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed upon us and you. So that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from, the, from there cross over to us. Wherever you end up in death, whether it's heaven or hell, your position is forever fixed. Once you're in heaven, you are there forever. Once you're in hell, you are there forever there is no second chances. There are no try-agains. There are no callbacks. You are there forever. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, verse 27 and 8, because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. You see, here the rich man may seem to finally be sowing some kind of compassion but don't be fooled. His heart is still only concerned about himself and a certain few people among the social elite. If Lazarus cannot come here, then send him to warn my people. He still does not care about the poor or the needy. He doesn't say, please send Lazarus to the rest of, the, to the rest of those lying at my gate and warn them. He simply cares for his own. The rich caring for the rich and no one else. The only thing that would make this suffering worse is to know that his family is also suffering eternal punishment. He is still thinking of himself. Hearing is a very important theme in Luke's gospel. The phrase to hear, or those who have ears to hear, this is hearing with a response. And we see that it throughout the Gospel of Luke, but also here in 29 through 31. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. 
But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You see, it is so important that we understand that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, teach us our need to repent. If we don't read the Old Testament and have our evil, rebellious hearts exposed, there is nothing left for God to do. Do you understand this most important truth? There is no other place where God can show a human his or her need of repentance than in his written word. No miracle will convince man to repent. Rather than seeing a miracle like Lazarus coming back from the dead and warning the rich man's family, they must heed the warning as all people must. The same is true for all of us. And I pray that as we read through God's word, we don't simply read old stories. But we hear God speak to us the warnings given in those pages. If we are not convinced by God's word to repent, there's nothing left God can do. His law brings forth repentance. There are no special cases and no exceptions. Our sin and need for a Savior is exposed within the pages of God's word and nowhere else. Nowhere else. No miracle or sign will ever convince us we're sinners and in need of a Savior. You see, this rich man should have listened to the prophets. His brothers should have listened to them as well. And so should the Pharisees, and so should we. Do you have ears to hear? And I think Peter hits on this very point when he writes, For we did not follow clearly contrived myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, a voice came to him from the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son. I will take delight in I take delight in him. And we heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we had the prophetic word strongly confirmed. You will do well to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in the dismal place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 19. As amazing as those miracles were for Peter... He saw in the God's word a more sure and solid foundation on which to believe. He very empathetically states that we too must pay careful attention to God's word. Peter and the others had their faith strengthened by miracles, not just given to them by miracles. This is Jesus' point in his story as well. Through the course of the redemption history, we witnessed the culmination of Moses and the prophets. What they preached and taught has come. We have their prophecies fulfilled in Christ. Someone rising from the dead. 
Jesus' words are always true. He did rise from the dead and sent forth a warning, and those in Israel still did not repent. You see, miracles will not change the hearts of the spiritually dead. Instead, it takes God's grace working through his word to bring about repentance and faith. You see, the scriptures contain all we need in order to repent and to be saved. They are utterly complete and lack nothing we need for salvation. They are perfect. And if one will not hear them, then even the greatest miracles have no effect. So we learn that it's not more evidence that is needed to bring about repentance, but to hear what is already given. The question that I ask of you this morning is, are you listening to God as he speaks from the Bible? In this sermon series of virtual, virtual reality, have you been listening to what God is speaking through Scripture? Have you been listening to what God is showing through the parables? Because it's through Scripture that we, are, that we learn God's grace and who he is and what we need to be doing in our lives. God has the power to save. Scripture shows us that. But are you listening? That this morning, as we kind of come to a close, kind of short, we don't have another song, right, Brian? Y'all get out early today. Um. I want you to think about that for a moment. But when you are at home, in the car, at work, wherever you read the Bible, wherever you read God's word, are you actually listening? Or are you just taking the words for granted? That they're there. Oh, they're stories. Are you truly seeing the power that those words have? To change not only you, but the others that are around you. You know, back when I was in high school, a long time ago, um, there, there was, you know, we had, I went to church, went to youth group, um, you know, but there, there was a group of kids that I hung out with at school that were like, hey, what's different for you? Are you, like, on drugs? Are you taking something that you shouldn't? And, you know, I was like, no. You know, it, it's, it, it's the word of God. It, it's, it's changed me. It, it's made me who I am. It, it's put this fire in me. And people see that. You know, so much so that, uh, you know, I still have somewhat of a relationship with, with those group of guys. But every Sunday... Took mom and dad's minivan and went and picked them up, piled in, went to church every Sunday. You know, I, I pray that one day that they, they too will see the power and be transformed by the word of God. Um, you know, I planted the seed. Now we're just waiting. Um, so are you listening? Do you believe that God's word has the power for you? You know, if, if there are any questions, um, 
you know, I'm here, Rich is here, um, you know, reach out to one of us. Reach out to one of the elders. Reach out to Leonard. You know, we can answer your questions. We can pray for you. We can help you along the way. So let me close, and then I just want to leave you with something else. Heavenly Father, as we leave here today, I just pray that we look into your word for the power, that, that we begin to listen, that we begin to hear it, that we begin to hear your voice, that you help to transform us from the inside out, that you change the way that we look at life, the way that we look at people, the way that we look at the world, the way that we look at eternity. Lord, we know that you have done so many great things for us. So many times we ask for miracles because, oh, it'll, it'll give us that faith that we need. But that's not true. It strengthens our faith, yes, but it doesn't give us that faith. And we know that. Lord, I, I just pray that you be with every single one that's gathered here this morning. Those that are watching online, that, that you just strengthen them. Give them the power. Give them the encouragement to continue in this life, this life of uncertainty, the life of not knowing. Just give us direction and clarity and just help us to focus on you. Help us to stay on that path that leads to you. Help us to make decisions that bring glory to your name. Lord, as we go out this week, and as we've mentioned the prayer requests and, and the ones that we've mentioned the weeks past, that we just pray for them. That we talk to them. That we listen to them. That we do whatever we can to help them out, Lord. That we can be there for each other. That we can be a strong group of Christians that not only care for each other, but care for the world around us, the community around us. Because you just never know when you can change somebody's life by just saying hello. Lord, I also just ask that you just give us those ears to hear. Those ears to hear your word that brings about repentance, that brings about change, that brings about transformation, Lord. Lord, you are awesome and amazing and all-powerful and all-knowing, and, and yet you give us this choice. A choice to follow you to eternity of heaven or turn away from you into an eternity of hell and anguish and torment. Lord, I choose heaven where it's going to be great and awesome and amazing and I pray that you help me every step of the way so that I can make it there one day, Lord. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for what you do for us and just, just keeping us safe and sound. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So let me leave you with the, the last part of Second Peter, verse 19, where it says, you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in this dismal place, which kind of feels like we are living in that right now, 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. As you go out, remember God's word has power. Listen to it. Live by it. Because he's got your back. Y'all have a great week. If you need anything, we're here for you. And hope to see y'all next week. You're welcome. For many years I have heard about a city. Jesus went to prepare for those who have believed. And since that blessed day when I first came to know him, I've been longing for. I've never been There's Jack